So, so yeah, it's been, it's been an amazing... Before we go into our sermon this morning, I, I do want to just recognize the significance of what happened yesterday in the history of our country. And I think it's very important that we celebrate it. Um, and and, I, and I, was, I was thinking about this yesterday afternoon, and, I, and my son Noah asked me, Daddy, why is it so important that the Springboks won the World Cup? And two things came to mind. And the first thing is, it is the first time in the history of our country that we've had a black captain. And that is extremely significant for black South Africans. It is extremely significant that a boyche could come from the townships to come and captain the team that won the World Cup. It is extremely significant. And and the second thing that strikes me about its significance is that scholars identify in terms of, of esteem, the, we have what we call personal or self-esteem, and that relates to what you think about yourself. But on the other hand, is also interpersonal or group esteem, and that relates to what you think about the group that you are part of, the nation that you are part of. Now, self-esteem and group esteem are two different things because I think as a person you can have a very high self-esteem, a very high regard for yourself, but at the same time you can have a very lowly, low regard for the group or the nation that you are part of. And I believe in our country at the moment we find ourselves there. We find ourselves having a very low group esteem. And so we don't believe that we are able to accomplish much as we are hashtag stronger together. And so that is extremely significant. And so when we see on an international stage a group of our fellow countrymen coming together with a common goal and achieving something of such greatness, that is something that we must celebrate. And that is something that will challenge, I think, in our nation, this low group esteem that we find ourselves in at the moment as our country. And so I just wanted to read, before we get into into Onesimus and Philemon, I just wanted to read the words to our national anthem, but the English version, so that we could understand it better. And this is what it says. Lord bless Africa, may her glory be lifted high. Hear our petitions, Lord bless us, us your children. Lord, we ask you to protect our nation, intervene and end all conflicts. Protect us, protect us, protect our nation, protect South Africa. Ringing out from our blue heavens, from our deep seas breaking around our everlasting mountains where the echoing crags resound. Sounds the call to come together. And united we will stand. (laughs) Let us live and strive for freedom in South Africa, our nation. Amen. Amen.
Okay. So, so, so we're now we're in our third installment of, of the book of, of Philemon. And this morning we're going to be looking at the character Onesimus. And um, so we will read the verses that relate to him in this short book. And we'll read the, the eight verses um, of the book Philemon or Philemon. And this is what it says. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to my account. At the Ezekiel Museum in Rowland Street in town, there is an exhibit called the Slave Calendar. And on the walls of one of the exhibition rooms, they have portrait pictures of residents of Cape Town who have slave heritage. And those are some of the pics that they have up at this exhibition. And one of the people in this exhibition was my neighbor for most of my childhood. He lived opposite me. And that's him there. And his picture and story forms part of the exhibition, which highlights the loss of identity that people from Cape Town suffered and in some sense continue to suffer. Slavery, as we know, forms part of Cape Town's historical identity, and during the time when slavery was being practiced here, the majority of the slaves that were brought to the Cape were brought from Indian Ocean countries like Mozambique or Madagascar or India or as far afield as Malaysia. And upon arrival here at the Cape, they would be stripped of everything that belonged to them including their identities. And after the discarding of their identities, some of the slaves were simply given names according to the months in which they arrived and were consequently sold. And so my neighbor, Mr. Felix February, his ancestors were brought to the Cape from somewhere in the southern part of India as best as his family elders can recall. 
And so upon the arrival of Mr. Febru's ancestors and his family, their original family name was taken and it was declared to be redundant and was replaced with the name of the month in which they were brought here and sold. And so effectively a part of my neighbor, Mr. February's history has been erased. Onesimus, the slave that plays an important role in the book of Philemon, has many things in common with the slaves that are part of my neighbor's ancestors. Onesimus was also like an object in the first century Mediterranean world. Onesimus was not measured by his capacity to think. He was not measured by his standing as a person or his stature, his wisdom or his character or his nobility. Onesimus' value was measured by his usefulness and how much work his hands could do and how much work he would be able to endure. And so that is what he was named, Onesimus, from the Greek, which means beneficial or profitable. Onesimus' future was not determined by how much he was willing to study in order to advance his life. His future was already determined by the system in which he found himself. And that system had already decided that he was to belong to another person. After all, he wasn't a Roman citizen. Now this morning I want to propose to us, as we look at the character of Onesimus, a different angle. Now perhaps, and I'm sure that you have heard the phrase, seeing the world through a different lens. Now, this suggests the importance of taking a new perspective or a different viewpoint. And so this morning, I'd like us to try to see this story through different lenses, and in particular, through the eyes of Onesimus. Now, as we try and accomplish this, there's what we could call a traditional way of reading and understanding the story. And so according to this this traditional interpretation, Onesimus was a bad slave. And he was a bad slave who fled from the household of his master Philemon all the way to Rome after he had stolen from his master. And then while this runaway slave Onesimus was in Rome. He met Paul and he became converted, a follower. However, as we see in the story, Paul sought to send this runaway slave back to his master, bearing with him a letter for his forgiveness. And as we see in the text, Paul then reminds Philemon of the obligations of the gospel. Now, this would be, I could call, our default interpretation of the story, and there isn't much wrong with that. However, there is, I think, another way that we can interpret the story. In the letter of Philemon, Onesimus is spoken of 
He is referenced. He's even discussed, but his presence is very subtle. Onesimus is in fact quiet in the text. After all, he was only a slave. And slaves have no power, they have no agency. Slaves are in a very real sense socially dead. Slaves are not given a voice. And so even though Onesimus is present, it is Philemon and Paul whose voices we are hearing. And Onesimus must in a sense just be quiet and pray that his voice is heard through the voice of someone who graciously decides to charge it to their own account. And so Onesimus finds himself in a space where he must rely on someone else who will fight for him. Because Onesimus is on the margins. He's not at the center. Onesimus is part of the powerless. He is not part of the powerful. And so Onesimus finds himself in need of an advocate. And so here's a different way of interpreting the story. But first, there's some background information that we need to take into account. According to Roman law, provision was made for something called manumission. Manumission was something that could only happen before a magistrate. Now, manumission is defined as the formal process by which a slave owner can give his slaves their legal freedom. There is a relief that dates back to the first century, showing two slaves being manum, um, receiving their manumission. And they, they have there what, they, what was called a peleus, which is a conical felt hat, which would signify their freedom. Now, this practice of manumission was something that was carried throughout history. In fact, during the period of American slavery, manumission was one of the main avenues available for a slave to obtain his or her freedom. Unfortunately also, slave owners also used the promise of freedom to ensure that their slaves would be obedient. And so in this Roman context here in Philemon, a slave could approach a friend of his master and seek mediation between himself and his master on the issue of that slave being freed. And it was this system of mediation within the institution of slavery according to the law, I think, that Onesimus may have used to his own advantage in order to seek freedom for himself. So, Onesimus could then have planned this whole affair. Now, I think it's not too far-fetched to believe that Onesimus knew that his master Philemon had been converted into the Christian faith. 
as the entire household where Onesimus had been working, were now spending time and taking part in worship at the house. Onesimus knew that the leader then also because of this, that the leader of this evangelistic movement called the Way at that time was Paul. And Onesimus would have known then by hearing conversations in the house that this Paul person was in Rome. And then Onesimus stole from Philemon because he would not be able to reach Rome without any money to meet Paul. And so Onesimus knew, and this is key, I think, that this new faith that was focused on Jesus proposed and brought about a new way of life. A way of life that had been unheard of in their time. And belief in this man, Jesus, changed people. Because if anyone was in Christ, they would become a new creation. And the old would pass away and the new would begin. And so Onesimus, taking all these things into account... He took courage and a little bit of cash (laughs) and he fled. Because Onesimus wanted to be manumitted. Onesimus wanted to taste freedom. And then upon meeting this leader of this evangelistic movement, meeting him, staying with him, Onesimus encountered a freedom that surpassed the kind of freedom that he was initially looking for or expecting. A freedom that in fact ended up turning him into someone with a new identity. A kind of freedom that would make him content and happy to be a servant and a slave to the Most High God. You know what? I think our stories are in this story. I think that Onesimus represents each one of us in some sense in this story. Because this story symbolizes the great atoning sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us, but in a different way. Because we were all rather at some point in time unprofitable slaves, as was Onesimus. We were all slaves to sin before we finally found rest in Jesus. And unfortunately, some of us are still slaves. And some of us may even still be finding ourselves as slaves to fear. And so when I think about my own story and what my response was to this bondage, my response was I ran away. And I want to believe that for many of us here this morning, that is something that we have in common. We run away. And our running away may be different, may have been different, continues to be different for all of us, 
And some of us may have run away to addictions. Some of us may have run away to finding acceptance with friends. And then some of us just ran to be away from everything. And so we may all at one time run away from the Lord in the way that Onesimus found himself fleeing from his master Philemon. But when we run away, Jesus pursues us. And when he finds us, he invites us in a sense to be his slaves. But he promises us that his burden is easy and his yoke is light. And Jesus doesn't work us to death being interested only in how much work our hands can do. No. Instead, Jesus offers He doesn't only offer us manumission, freedom at the end, but he offers us freedom right from the moment that we accept his offer. In Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, we are told that we were once slaves to sin, but thanks to God, we are now slaves to righteousness. And I am so thankful that the master is willing to pay the highest price for me. He is willing to pay the highest price for you, the life of his son. And we see in the story, Paul offered to pay for the debts of Onesimus. Following in line with Jesus Christ who has paid for our debts through his atoning sacrifice on the cross. Paul also regarded Onesimus as his own son. And so we also become sons and daughters of Jesus Christ when we are spiritually reborn. And so I think our stories are represented here in this story. And so when I propose to you that you try to see the story through different lenses, I am also proposing that you see your own story as well as the stories of others through different lenses. And so when I consider the story, I think that it teaches us, yes, about the obligations of the gospel. And it shows us how we ought to act, how to forgive, and how to restructure the relationships that we have with others because we are now followers of Jesus and we were all, in fact, at one point in time, slaves. It teaches us the importance of brotherhood in Christ and forgiveness. But this letter to Philemon, I think, also cautions us to remember the power of evangelism. When Paul met Onesimus, Paul could simply have written him off as a bad slave who needed to be returned to his master and punished for his actions. But Paul didn't see a worthless cause that needed a beating, but Paul saw a potential servant of Christ. Because Paul knew that this gospel is able to work its power in any heart that is honest. 
regardless of your background. And you can be in the worst kind of bondage possible, imaginable, but the power of God can release you from that. And so we can learn from Paul and Onesimus' example that it is important that we don't allow our own prejudices to get in the way of God using us to speak life to people who are being held captive by the works of the enemy. Because you don't know what you will be releasing through whom you will be releasing. Sometimes I think we keep others in bondage because of our own inability and our own denial to see things through a different lens, and in particular, through the lens of God. Now let's consider for, us for a moment what Paul ended up releasing here in Onesimus. Now Luke chapter 10 and verse 1 records that at a particular time, Jesus sent out 72 disciples, followers, into towns where he himself would go. Now, we don't know the names of all of those original 72 because the Bible doesn't name them. It doesn't give us that list. Now, we'll scope a lot of details here that bring clarity to how this tradition continued after Jesus died, he rose, and he ascended, and we'll skip a, 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 a few hundred years forward. But the early church fathers who lived in the first few hundred years of the life of the church, they tried to put together the list of names that would have been part of these initial 72 followers who Jesus sent out, and this tradition continued. Because there was a stage in... Um, in the life of the disciples where we read that as it became closer to the time when Jesus was going to be uh, crucified and deceived, that many who followed him fell away and no longer followed him any longer. And afterwards, this was in a, in a sense regenerated and this tradition was continued. And so, as I'm saying, these early church fathers wanted to know who were those people who were sent out so early on. And so they studied scripture and they followed traditions and records that had been passed down of who it was that could have been in this list. And so they put together over many hundreds of years, in fact, a canon or a list called the Syntax of the Holy Seventy Apostles. And among the names in this list, is Saint Onesimus, the Bishop of Byzantium. And so Onesimus, it is believed, would become one of those early apostles. In fact, up until today, the Greek Orthodox Church actually have a feast day for this Saint Onesimus on the 25th of February. And historical records tell us that in his old age, Onesimus became the bishop at Ephesus after the apostle Timothy. And in his death, Onesimus was stoned after which he was beheaded in the year 109 AD. 
You don't know what you will be releasing through whom you will be releasing. Our world is full of omissimacy. There are so many people who are running away. And there are so many people, I think, who need someone to write a letter on their behalf and to tell them about the greatness and the goodness of the Master. They need someone to take them under their wing and to walk with them and mentor them and turn them from being useless into being useful. I think our city, our country, is full of Onesimuses who need someone to write a letter on their behalf and to charge the expenses to their account because these Onesimuses may not have enough money to get them from Colossia where they are in bondage to Rome where they may find and meet the one who can show them freedom. Earlier on in our week, in the media, we saw about asylum seekers who had come to our country, fellow Africans. And the situation is very complicated. But we have to, as followers of Christ, be people who can speak into those spaces. We have to, in some way, be able to respond in the way that Philemon or Paul responded. And so for us this morning, I think the question becomes, will you, will I be someone's Paul? Will you be willing to charge it to your account? Will you be someone's Philemon? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to transform you into someone who forgives and releases. And so as we close now, I thought I would like to include in this letter of Philemon an addendum, a, a postscript, a few words written by the slave Onesimus if he were allowed to speak, if he were allowed to have his voice heard. And so allow me some poetic license as I imagine what he would say upon his return to his master's house. I am standing outside my master Philemon's household. Of the two of us, you would probably have heard his voice, not mine. Today I stand here carrying a letter from my friend and from his friend, Paul, the man who has become like a father to me in my faith in Jesus Christ. This letter I carry will determine everything for me. And so I am standing here trying to compose myself, trying to catch my breath, trying to calm my heart. I've traveled all these days and come all this way back and now I feel I need even more courage just to enter this household that I know so well, this place that I have cleaned and tidied every day. I wonder what the others will say. Will they accept me back or tell me I should just have run further away? But more important than that, what will Philemon say? 
And will he allow me even now to call him Philemon rather than master? Will he be angry with me? Will he be upset? Will he have an F branded on my forehead for fugitivus as the law commands? Or will he have me crucified as the law commands? I will know now if following Jesus is worth it. Will Jesus' message of good news be good news for me too? Is Jesus really able to make all things new? My name means useful, profitable. And I believe Jesus has truly made me that. Furthermore, I hope that Philemon will see in me what I hope to see in him. That I was once his slave, but now by the blood of Christ, we are both slaves to him.